Please notice with me in 1 Timothy chapter 1 this evening, we're reading from verse 18 through 20. Finish up the chapter this evening, and next week we'll, be a, we'll begin in chapter 2, many subjects in chapter 2 on public worship and order, prayer, especially praying for the leaders uh, of our country, um, the subject of holiness, the subject of modesty, um, salvation and coming to the knowledge of the truth and how to avoid deception, many different subjects in chapter 2. Notice as we come here tonight, and I'm going to take our title from verse 18, we're going to title this, War a Good Warfare. And the apostle writing to Timothy, the apostle Paul, he said in verse 18, he said this, Charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning the faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme." Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee for this day that You've given us to come together and worship and sing the songs of Zion and fellowship. And Lord, we pray this evening for Thy blessings and Thy anointing upon the reading of Thy precious Word. And Father, again, as we come to this text, we ask, Lord, for help, for understanding. But Lord, we also ask for help that would be obedient to Thy Word as You've given it to us. And we ask all of these things in Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Last week we were in verse 17 and we titled that, The King Eternal. And as we bring this chapter to a close, we have a, another charge here that's given to Timothy. And uh, that is in verse 18, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Taking my title, like I say, from verse 18, we're going to talk about the importance of spiritual warfare this evening. There is a war for the souls of men and women and biblical truth. And the ministry, you're involved in warfare as well every day, but the ministry is a warfare. We see this very carefully and clearly uh, as we look at this pastoral epistle, Paul to Timothy. And the ministry is a warfare against sin and Satan, but it is led by Christ, who is called the captain of our salvation in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10. Now notice as we come here to verse 18 and begin to work our way uh, through this, he says, first of all, he said, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. The charge here we've already seen in verse, verse 3 uh, through 5. I want to back up and read these again. We see here the charge is to preach the Word of God, to deal with false teachers and false doctrine, and uh, also to give warning against fables and endless genealogies. 
reading from verse 3, said, I, I, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith so do. Now the end of the commandment, and this has to do with the charge and the gospel that he is to preach. He said, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure conscience, pure heart rather, and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned. We'll go and read in verse 6, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling. In verse 18, we see here, he said, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. So he's giving him the charge, and he's placing this in his trust. He's committing these things um, to Timothy, as you would read in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 13 and 14. But notice he mentions, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee. Turn with me uh, to uh, chapter 4. Notice with me in chapter 4. I'm going to be reading from verse 11 to verse 16, but verse 14 is the passage I want to emphasize. He said in verse 11, These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and doctrine. And this reading goes beyond the private devotions and whatever with Timothy. It would include public uh, reading of the Word of God and to exhort uh, and to the doctrine that is to be taught. He said in verse 14, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing so, doing this rather, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. In other words, save himself and the congregation from deception and false doctrine. But notice in verse 14, because in chapter 1, he talked about the, uh, uh, the prophecies which went before on him. Notice in cha verse, chapter 4, verse 14, Neglect not the gift that is in thee. This is the gift of ministry. He was ordained into the ministry. And he said, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, by which, which rather was given thee by prophesy, prophecy, rather, with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. The presbytery would be the body of elders that laid hands upon Timothy and ordained him into the ministry. This is now notice again in Second Timothy, in Second Timothy chapter one. So Timothy has a charge. He has some things committed unto him, and Paul is reminding him of the prophecies that went before on him. 
In other words, he's speaking of the gift uh, of ministry that is given to him and the responsibility of ministry that he was ordained to. Now notice here, I want to read verse 5 and 6 together in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And he says here, verse 5, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. Now there's, he had a genuine faith. It was not phony. He goes on to say, Which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in thee also. Notice the faith that Timothy had was handed down from grandmother to mother. Now notice what the apostle says in verse uh, 6. He said, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Paul was involved with the presbytery of laying hands upon Timothy, and we see that concept of ordination in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that we'll look at when we get there. Now back up with me. I want to make sure we get through these three verses. Back up with me now as we come back to uh, verse 18. Now he says here the latter part of this, he said that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. And then he names two examples in verse 20. Now, let's spend a little bit of time on this subject of warfare. We know that, and I, and I want to give you a, a verse. I'm not going to ask you to turn to two of these uh, I'm going to give you. But in 1 Timothy chapter 4, I think it's interesting something that, the, that Peter had said in verse 1. And he said, for, for as much rather than as Christ has suffered for us, he said, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. We have a sermon we preached titled, Arming Yourself, some years ago. And we find here that he says, As Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, we are to arm ourselves likewise with the same mind. In other words, we are to arm ourselves, spiritually speaking. We are to be willing to suffer for Christ's sake as Christ suffered for us on the cross. So as we come here to this passage and we see here that thou mightest by them, let me back up, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. In other words, he's saying that the Christian life is a conflict and the minister is the standard bearer and must lead into battle. And this is what he's telling young Timothy. Paul is an elder telling Timothy as a younger preacher, I don't know how old that he was, but a younger preacher, uh, encouraging him in this warfare. And, and this is not the only time that he says it. Turn with me to chapter 6. Notice with me in chapter 6. 
And I know that you know this, but we, this world is a battleground. It is not a playground. We see so many people who want to play and just have fun today. We're in a battle. We are in a battle. Now notice as we come to chapter 6, reading from verse 10 through verse 12. Again, Paul writing to Timothy. He said, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. In the same context, he's saying that there are those in verse 5 that suppose that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 11, here's what he says to Timothy. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, that is, covetousness, and supposing that gain is godliness and things of that nature. As he's as it's telling Timothy to have food and raiment, be content, in verse 8. So he says in verse 11, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, fight, now here it is, fight the good fight of faith. And by the way, our hymn goes right along tonight with this path. Was that planned? And uh, the Lord planned that. Uh, Yes, speaking of being a good soldier, we'll see that term in just a moment. He says, fight the good fight of faith, verse 12, lay hold on eternal life. In other words, get it in your view. And he said, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Notice in 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you're taking notes tonight, 1 Corinthians 9, 7, the minister speaks of the minister going into warfare and how that he is to do that. But notice in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'm reading from verses 1 through about 4 or 5. We'll just go through verse 4. He said this, he said, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth, here's that war again, and Timothy is a soldier, a spiritual soldier, and he says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And so we are in a battle. The minister is in a battle daily, and you're also in this conflict as well. Turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter 10, and notice here. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we'll just briefly on this, we've covered some of this, and we're going to read Ephesians, but we have, last year, I believe it was, or the year before, we spent um, several weeks with the armor of God. Now notice here as we come to 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 10, 
And I'm going to read from this passage. I've got a couple of quotes I want to give you as well. But notice as we come here, uh, I'm going to read verse 1. And, and I, uh, the last time that I had preached a message along this line and used this text, I actually camped out in this text, I also dealt with the verses before it and the verses afterwards in chapter 9 and chapter uh, I believe even chapter 11. But anyway, we dealt with the fact that the Apostle Paul is defending his apostleship in this context. Uh, some at Corinth uh, did not think that he was a true apostle. Here's a man that basically started the church, won the people to the Lord, and uh, established the work there and whatever, and some began denying his apostleship. And so he's defending his apostleship here, and others also that ministered with him. But I want to read verse 1, and then I want to read verse 3, 4, and 5, and know, I want you to see what kind of a war that we're in. He said in verse 1, Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base, among you, but being absent and bold toward you. Again, he's defending his apostleship and dealing with some of the issues and the problems in the church. Now, notice as we come to verse 3, yes, Paul is speaking about him and the ministers, but these verses apply to all of us. He said in verse 3, he said, For though we walk in the flesh, that is in this physical body that we live in, he said, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Paul was even accused of being lifted up within himself, you know, and pride and things of that nature. 1 Corinthians 9, the whole chapter is again defending his apostleship. So he says, now we'll just apply this to all of us. He said, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. We must keep that in mind. He goes on to say, and by the way, Ephesians 6 really brings us home. But in verse 4, he said, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. In other words, they're not fleshy. And he said, But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. There's many strongholds in this world. The lost world has built up walls as Jericho and has built up strongholds to fortify themselves against the Creator and Redeemer. And so he and, and, and if we're not careful, we can build some of these up our, ourselves. So he says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. He says, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And by the way, the spiritual warfare and the weapons that we have, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, prayer, things of that nature, will pull these things down. Then he said in verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. When he talks about the imaginations there, this is the opinions of man that we must cast down within ourselves. And as we speak to others, we don't come to them 
with our own opinions about things, but we always come to them with the Word of God. Because all of us have different opinions about things, and that means nothing. The only thing that matters is what God has said in His Word. So verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This is how we wage war. Turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 6. In the book of Ephesians and chapter 6, and then we'll go back to 1 Timothy. Again, we, uh, we spent weeks, as either the last year or the year before, uh, several weeks, and this took the, the pieces of armor one at a time. I think it was on a Sunday night that we did that, or Sunday morning. Now notice as we begin in verse 11, Paul is bringing this letter. Now this is not written to ministers, it's written to the church. It's written to all of us. And, and as we write this, Paul, this is a prison epistle, so Paul's writing this from a prison cell, and he obviously, uh, all of the Jews... And Gentiles had seen Roman soldiers. They were under the Roman Empire. And, uh, and we're going to be talking about spiritual armor here, the spiritual armor of God, as we have already. But Paul is probably chained to or sitting, looking at a Roman soldier as he writes this letter. So notice as we read from verse 11 down to about verse 18 or 19. He says in verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. This is how he closes. He gives us three chapters of doctrine and he gives us three chapters of very practical application of that doctrine. In other words, he tells us what we have in Christ who that we are, and then he tells us what to do with it and how to live. And so here's how he closes some very sobering words. But they're words that work if we apply them to ourselves. He says, put on the whole armor. In other words, don't put on half of it or part of it. He says, put on the whole armor of God, reason that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the wiles of the devils are the tricks and schemes and plans that the devil has. We cannot reason with the devil. We don't have the intelligence to do so. Some think they do, but we cannot reason with the devil. We have to have this armor in order to do battle with Satan and sin and this world. Notice as we come to verse 12. Because we're talking about spiritual things here. Verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Talking about the devil and angelic beings and things of that nature. Then he says again, 
in verse 13, he said, Wherefore, in other words, in view of this spiritual battle that we're in, he said, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So we're in a conflict. We are in a battle. Before I read any farther, we'll, we'll read it just briefly and look at the, <clears throat> uh, at the particular pieces of armor here. But, uh, and I think I've read this to you at least two or three, four times over the years. Because we're going to find here the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, in verse 17. And one writer, he said, every church, the early church, let me back up, the early church had one sword. Let me just stop there just for a moment. I want you to meditate on that. Said the early church had one sword, the sword of the Spirit, and did very well. In less than 300 years, by prayer, teaching, and preaching, they have won so much of the populace to Christ from slaves and peasants to those of Caesar's household that the pagan state wanted to join them, but the state church attempted to use two swords, the sword of the Spirit and the sword of the magistrates. And that's where years later that some of the crusades came from. The church did very well the first 300 years with one sword, and that is the sword of the Spirit. Another quote, and this is not dealing with that, uh, says an army mule was laid to rest by the troops, read his epithet, Here lies George, who kicked two colonels, two captains, four lieutenants, three sergeants, six privates, and one landmine. Now notice, as we come here to this passage, as I read this, and we just think about this armor for a moment, we're going to go back and see again two of the false teachers that are mentioned that that Paul warned Timothy about. But I want to do one other thing. I wrote this down so I could keep it in my notes. I've used it in our war series sermons. I want you to understand that our problem is not a Democrat or Republican problem in our country. And I've said this every year around July the 4th, I used to preach a message on the subject of war. Just keep in mind that as we rage, uh, as this war rages, and ours is a spiritual war, keep in mind that every president of the United States since the Bushes have supported sodomy, every one, without exception. And I want to mention someone who is dead now, but many would ask me what I thought about him, and wasn't he a great man for the sake of our country, and that was Rush Limbaugh. Here's something that he said one time. He said, homosexuality is not a moral issue because homosexuality is not a choice. He said that conservatives do not care what people do behind closed 
doors. But Romans 1 tells us that God cares. He hired Elton John, the sodomite musician, to perform his fourth wedding ceremony. The fourth time that he is married, he hired... I, I, had, I, I know the price. I, it was extremely high. And, uh, but um, uh, I'm afraid I could be a little off on that, so I'll not say, but it was a lot of money. Elton... John, one of the biggest sodomites in this country and the world. And Rush Limbaugh, even though he's deceased now, when he was alive, he regularly used profanity on his show. Regularly used it. But he was, he was held up in high esteem, even among Christians, you know, when he was alive and had one of the longest and largest running show an audience of probably anybody in the conservative movement. This is not our battle. Our battle is right here in this, according to this book. Now notice as we come here and just briefly look at the armor, and then we'll go back and, um, to our text and finish up. But he begins here in verse 14 with this armor. And he says, stand therefore. We keep seeing this, to withstand or to stand. He says, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherein you may be able to quench, that is to put out, all the fiery darts of the wicked, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, I'm going to read on just a little bit, and for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. This man's in prison, going to be beheaded going to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. And here's what he's saying to the church. Fight the spiritual battle. And he says, for which, verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that is in prison, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul never lost sight of the true battle that he was, that, that he was in. As a matter of fact, I forgot to give you one verse, and you just stay here in Ephesians, but I don't think I gave you this, Second uh, Timothy 4. I gave you Second Timothy 2, did I not? 1 through 4, we read it. But in Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, the Apostle Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith in his last letter. He said, I fought a good fight, and we know the kind of fight that he fought in. We are in war. We are soldiers of the cross, and, but it is a spiritual warfare. We've got to keep that in our hearts and minds. Now, let's just briefly here. Again, I can just see Paul sitting, writing this letter, and I'm not saying it's so, but it probably was, and he's looking at a Roman soldier, and, um, 
And he mentions, first of all, he said, having your loins girt about with truth. In verse 14, loins girt about with truth, that is a belt. Truth holds everything together. Having your loins girt about with truth, spiritually speaking, uh, is what he's talking about. But we know I have a belt on tonight to hold my britches up. It holds everything together. And uh, so he's bringing this into the spiritual arena. And so uh, he's talking about the truth. It's truth that holds us together. And then in the same verse, he said, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. We find here the breastplate um, would cover the vital organs, which are very important in warfare. And then in verse 15, he says in verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Um, this means standing firm and steady, not sli slipping and sliding. And, um, and wouldn't you hate to go into warfare barefooted? He said in verse 16, notice in verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith. That is for protection, not only just for your vital organs, but protection for the whole person. This would probably not, not be the, the round shield that you hold in your hand, one hand, and the sword in the other hand, and have close combat fighting. This would probably be the oblong shield that you could get behind and actually cover the whole body. And then notice he says also in verse 17, um, he says in verse, uh, let me, yes, verse uh, 17, and he says, and take the helmet of salvation. Spiritually speaking, there it's to protect our head, our mind. And there is a battle for the mind. We know how the head, the, the head is critical when it comes to battle. One blow to the head can take someone out completely out of the battle. And so how many have ever been knocked out? I mean, just literally knocked out. You're, and uh, you're done for a while at least. And um, in, a, in a resting gear uh, in, in the Navy... I got with a cable being twisted in a, in a socket, a big socket on the end of it, and we're pulling on it, and it had torque on it and hit me right straight in the face. Well, I woke up uh, in the hospital in, on the ship, you know, and just, just put me out, you know, and uh, had a few bruises for a while, but it'll take you out. And notice he says also in verse 17, not only the helmet of salvation, but he said, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Think about this, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Spirit is the author and interpreter of the Word. The Spirit of God gave us the Word, so it's called here the sword of the Spirit. So the entire body, from our head to our feet, uh, in, in a regular soldier, they're covered, but it's spiritually speaking, in the battle that we as Christians are fighting, we are covered with this. So we have defensive and offensive uh, weaponry. Go back with me now to 1 Timothy, 
And notice with me in chapter 1, and let's read verse 18 again and come to verse 19. He said, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Now notice he continues. He says, Holding faith and a good conscience, which some have put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. So as we put this armor on, as we prepare in this war, he says, holding faith. This is not just individual faith, but this speaks of the great truth of the Christian religion. So we've seen this in verse 5. We uh, a, pure con- a pure heart and, and a good conscience, but also uh, he speaks of charity in this passage, and he speaks of faith unfeigned. Uh, it, in chapter 3, verse 9, if you're taking notes, he mentions uh, one of the offices in the church, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And then again in Titus chapter 1 and verse 9 that we read a few weeks ago, again, he speaks of this. The Apostle Paul in Acts 20, verse 27, as he meets with the leaders of Ephesus, the same place that Timothy is at as, as he writes this letter, but he meets with them for the last time at Miletus, the leaders there, and he basically tells them that he had declared unto them and the church uh, the counsel of God, the whole counsel of God. And then, not all that many months ago, we preached a message titled Contending for the Faith out of Titus Uh, not Titus, but Jude 3, we are to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. That's more and beyond just individual faith. We must have individual faith, but there is what is called the faith, the body of truth, this great body of truth uh, of the Christian religion. It's the doctrines of Christ. He also said in verse 19, Uh, uh, having a good uh, conscience, as we've seen in verse 5. He mentions a pure heart and a good conscience. That which is in harmony, having a conscience which is in harmony with truth and honestly followed. And then, notice he said also in verse 5, which some, in the middle of the verse, which some having put away, some, Some have put this away. He's going to give us two examples in verse 20. Uh, He's referring to, uh, especially here, false teachers, probably at Ephesus. So he says, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. I want you to think about that. Shipwreck, made shipwreck with respect to the faith. Their faith and the faith, the body of truth that we believe in, right down chapter 6 and in verse 9. The picture of a shipwreck here implies the entire destruction of faith as a ship is totally ruined and sunk with no recovery. I think that's the picture that's given here. The renouncing of True faith in Christianity, being without genuine faith, to deny the faith, the gospel. You can write down Acts chapter 7 and verse 39, 
and also Acts 13 and verse 46, to, to deny the truth is a willful act, putting something aside. So he said in verse 19 to Timothy, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, and again, we've already seen in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, that he left him at Ephesus, uh, that he would charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Not all, but some. So he says, which some, having put away, verse 19, concerning faith, have made shipwreck. And then in verse 20, he gives us uh, two examples of utter shipwreck of true faith and casting it away. He said in verse 20, of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. This here shows, as we've seen in verse 3, 4, and 5, the seriousness of false teaching and heretical views. And it doesn't have to be a total denial of the faith. It can be a little twist on something. Satan didn't step into paradise and say, there, God doesn't exist. He stepped into paradise and began questioning, did God really mean what he said? and deceived our first parents. Evidently, um, these were well known to Timothy and very possibly the church at Ephesus. Apparent, they were apparently very influential leaders there at Ephesus. Now let's just look briefly at these two. Um, I want you to turn with me to Second uh, Timothy, first of all, in chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, you have Hymenius and, uh, and Alexander. And notice um, Hymenius is mentioned one, one other time. 2 Timothy chapter 2, he's mentioned in verse 17, but I'd like to read from verse 15. He says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Another dividing truth from Aaron. He said, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doeth a canker, that is like gangrene or cancer. In other words, now he said in verse 17, and their word will eat as doeth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus. So this is the only other place that this man is mentioned. Now look at, though, verse 18 who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. So we find that he, uh, he evidently held something about the doctrine of the resurrection, but he said it's past, and by doing this, he's overthrowing the faith of some, some of the people there, I guess, at Ephesus. Now notice in 2 Timothy chapter uh, 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, we find Alexander, probably the same person, and, um, and you'll probably also find him in Acts 19 verse 33, which is at Ephesus, 
There's debate as to whether it's the same Alexander, but it just seems to fit. Because Timothy's at Ephesus, Paul's writing about this, so it seems to fit. But notice in 2 Timothy 4, verses 14 and 15, he said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works, of whom be thou where also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. In other words, he's withstood the apostles' preaching and teaching the word of God. So we have these two men, go back with me to chapter 1, we have these two men that the Apostle Paul used as examples. And again, could have very well, both of them had been at Ephesus as well. And uh, so notice the last statement that we find here. And this is a part of the warfare. Timothy was to expose them. And notice the last couple of statements that are made in verse 20. He said, Whom I delivered unto Satan, excommunicated. In other words, expelled from church society. We would refer to this as church discipline. We have at least one or two sermons on this. If you want some notes, 1 Corinthians 5 and verses 5 through the end of the chapter. Matthew 18 and verse 17. Of course, Job wasn't living in sin, but look what Satan did to Job. Job chapter 2 and verse 6 and the surrounding verses. And 2 Thessalonians, rather, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, uh, a man that someone wouldn't work. They were to be dealt with and put aside until they repented of that. We're, We're talking about discipline here. Uh, to some extent, that they learn not to blaspheme. We find, uh, we find the Jews blaspheming in uh, the preaching in Acts 13, verse 45. We also find that those in Romans 2, verse 23 and 24, that say one thing, do another. In other words, they say they believe the law and they break the law. They're blaspheming the Lord even among the Gentiles in that context. So, in this passage, he said, verse 20, of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. That is, they may learn not to speak against Christ and his doctrine. That is, his word that the apostles have, had brought to the churches as they established them. And again, a good example of this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's read just a few verses and we'll close. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to... um, This is uh, the particular instance here is an issue of uh, fornication. And uh, let me read uh, verse... Just beginning in verse 2. Verse 1 is dealing with the subject of fornication. But he said in verse 2... He said, And you are puffed up, have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily am absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together and my spirit with power of, the, of our Lord Jesus Christ, now look at this, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Probably a very similar thing here. Now, we do believe that this man here repented as he was put out of the church. He repented. I think 2 Corinthians 2 is fairly clear that he was restored back the church, back into the church. That's what church discipline is all about, is restoration. Doesn't mean it will always happen, but that's the purpose of it. And, um, and the apostle continues to talk about this. And, but notice as we close, we'll just read from verse 9 to the end of the chapter. You can see how this was really dealt with. He said in verse 9, I wrote unto you in a, an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. In other words, we are around them. If we're going to go buy groceries or do anything or work or whatever, we, we're around those. But here's the important thing of this text. He says in verse 11, But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother. We do know that, like with Hymenius, whatever he was, uh, you know, he was... He was um, had a certain belief about the resurrection, but he was wrong about it, said it was past. So he says in this passage here, he said, if any, verse 11, in the middle of the verse, he said, if, if any man that is a brother be a fornicator or covet or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such and one know not to eat, for what have I to do to judge them also that are without, that is, without the, without the church, do not ye judge them that are within, that is, within inside the church? He said in verse 13, but, then that, but them that are without, God judges, therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. In other words, the one that professes Christ and is living in sin. And that's probably what Paul is saying there in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and in verse 20. Would you stand with me, please? Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee again for this day. We thank You for Your Word. And, and Lord, we, we pray that as we work our way through this book, 1 Timothy, Lord, we pray for wisdom and understanding and Lord, we pray that, we, that you would teach us uh, the truths as we look at your scripture, look at your, uh, the verses. And Lord, we pray that we would be obedient to what you've given to us. Father, we ask now your blessings with the singing and Lord, and, and closing prayer and the prayer request tonight, for it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.